Welcome back, listeners, to The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we talk about popular sayings that make their way through culture and churches, even though they are theologically unsound. My name is Shara Donahue, and today we are wrapping up our season of guests with business owner and entrepreneur, Peter Bromworth. I have personally witnessed Peter's business expertise and the wisdom he applies faithfully in the marketplace. Interacting with him over the years has taught me much about how a Christian can navigate the pitfalls of industries of commerce and property. So I asked him to join us in discussing the saying, money is the root of all evil. Tell us where this idea of money is the root of all evil comes from and what the Bible actually says. Yeah, I think it probably mostly comes from a scripture that is taken out of context and misquoted at the same time. So people will say, or you'll hear people say, the money is the root of all evil. But if we go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says... But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So I think that people pull verse 10 out of context And it really says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, but people will quote it as saying money is the root of all evil. So why do you think people grab on to this idea that money is the root of all evil? I think it can easily sound like the moral high ground. So you can take something that's maybe misquoted like this scripture can kind of extrapolate it and say, well, if money is the root of all evil, then money must be bad. So people can grab onto that, extrapolate it and take it farther. So it's already misquoted and then they're taking it even farther to come to an incorrect conclusion that money in and of itself must be evil. Yeah. And the scripture clearly says it's all kinds of evil, not all evil. Right. But what else is important for us to see in the scripture that is different from the saying that is commonly quoted? Uh, The love of money. So not money itself, but the love of money. And again, if we read it in context, you can see starting in verse nine, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. So we have a warning here, those who desire to be rich. It doesn't say those who are rich. So it's not saying that being rich is or isn't a bad thing, but it is warning people, those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. So that's the, I think one of the key things for us to see here is money quickly and easily becomes an idol. It's one of the most popular things for Jesus to talk about is money. And so money, he does not say is bad, but it far too quickly becomes an idol for us where money becomes more important to us than other things, more important to us than God. And so then our priorities are out of place quickly. And there you have a big problem. Yeah, so 
why do we want money or love money? And like you said, I think the bigger problem actually is what is the underlying idol for this want and love? Yeah, that's really a great question because if you look at the underlying issues with this topic, money isn't the end in and of itself. Money gives you something or you think it gives you something. And that's what can reveal our true idols in this equation. So for example, Proverbs 18.11 says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. So it gives us this idea in Proverbs that people who are rich can easily, not always, but can easily have this idea that their security is in their money. I have money, so I'm secure. And we, if we don't have a lot of money, if we're not rich, then we can look at people who are rich and we can say, oh man, that must be nice. It must be nice to have that security, you know, if, if I were to have that money. So quickly, money, again, isn't necessarily the goal in and of itself, or it's not the end in and of itself. It's if I get money, then I will have something. And so I think a, a common thing then is people pursue money because either it gives them security or status. Some of these things are actually the underlying idol. It's not actually the money that I want. It's the status that I want. It's the security that I want. It's the feeling that I finally know that I'm somebody because I've achieved a certain status in the world. Yeah. And there is this desire within us sometimes to prove ourselves. And I'm wondering if you have any ideas of where that stems from? I think it stems from the truth that we're all looking to fill a void in our life. We, all of us feel inadequate and there's a reason we feel inadequate. Uh, and we're looking for acceptance and love. And as Christians, we know where that's found, right? We know that truly our our ultimate acceptance can only be found in Christ, right? It can only be found in the finished work of Christ, what he has done for us. So I don't matter because I have money or status or wealth, uh, or I don't matter because I have certain clothes or this material possessions. I matter because in Christ I'm accepted. And so a good example of this, or I should say, a good way to put this is how uh, Tim Keller puts it in his book, Every Good Endeavor. He says, all of us look to something to assure ourselves we have spent our lives well. And so I think that's the, the key thing is we're looking for it to do something for us. And there's this deep need inside of us to, to fulfill something. And other people find that in other idols. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not everybody who goes after this idol, but mm -hmm. there are plenty of people who will go after this idol because they'll say in, in this, in wealth or status or prosperity, I'm going, I'm going to find my worth. So Tim Keller also says in that same book, uh, but the gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves and secure our identity through work for we are already proven and secure. <sighs> 
So if there's, you know, when we talk about this topic, if there's any resource that I could actually point people to, it would primarily be, of course, reading the Bible in its context yes. and not taking verses out of context or misquoting them. But also Tim Keller just has an amazing book on the topic. And it's not specifically about money. It's about connecting our work to God's work. But there's many of these threads in that book. And again, it's called Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. Well, great. I love a good resource. And I do love a Keller quote, but I loved most of all that part where he talked about, for we are already proven and secure. I mean, that provides such freedom for us to live our lives in the light of the gospel. So looking back at that section of 1 Timothy, in verse 9, Paul says that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Do you believe the Bible teaches that Christians shouldn't try to make money? Yeah, that's a, also a good question. And I think that leads into another uh, another erroneous viewpoint that Christians get into very easily, which is to say, okay, well, if money's bad, then poverty must be good, right? You know, if, if this thing is bad, let's look at the opposite of it. And I think that is an equally dangerous point of view to have. I think one of the big problems with a point of view saying that poverty is somehow good or better than having money or being wealthy is that that can be an idol in and of itself. Just in the same way we can use money to get to an idol that we really want, a position, a security, a sense of, of worth. We can do the same thing with false humility saying, well, I reject money and I turn away from it and I uh, avoid it. And so it's better to live as a poor person than to live as a rich person, as though those are pitted against each other. And they're just simply not in the Bible. There's many examples of very wealthy people uh, who were very faithful mm-hmm. in the Bible. And I think that's one of the key things. It's not primarily an issue of whether you are wealthy or poor. It's primarily an issue of whether you are faithful and obedient. Mm. Uh, So some of the uh, wealthy people in the Bible are like Joseph of Arimathea, who um, owned the tomb where Jesus was laid. Abraham, you know, was very wealthy. Uh, Job, uh, King David, King Solomon. So the Bible is uh, filled with examples of people who were in fact very wealthy and were faithful. And so again, I don't think that it's not that we need to pursue being wealthy or pursue being poor, but rather God will place us in a socioeconomic position and how can we be faithful in that? So if we're, again, looking at context of scripture, this commonly misquoted and misused scripture about money, just a chapter before talks about another part of this, which is so important. And so that's First uh, Timothy 5, 8. Mm-hmm. CSB Bible says, but if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The translation ESV says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are some really, really strong words. Yeah. You know, and so uh, you can't, or I should say, if you too quickly throw the baby out with the bathwater, right, and say, oh, uh, being rich is bad, so being poor must be good. Well, no, the Bible is clearly calling us to provide for our family. And it says members of his own household, you know, there's certainly times 
where people live with relatives other than their immediate family. Like we are called to provide and care for the members of our family. So we can't see money in and of itself as an ultimately evil thing, but rather how can I be faithful? How can I be obedient? How can I pursue making money for the appropriate end of being faithful and obedient? So I want to go earn money or make money as a business owner for the end of being faithful and obedient to what God has called me to do in the scripture while being able to be free from the trap of either poverty or wealth. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I think part of what you're addressing in this is something that we've seen really push its way through Christian culture because the prosperity gospels, health and wealth teaching kind of exploded. But when we see all the dangers there, and then that's not what the Bible actually teaches, there was this lesser known emergence of the poverty gospel, the idea that the poor are better followers of Jesus. Can you elaborate on why that would be an erroneous idea? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like I said before that it's also a pitfall you know, whether or not it's an equal pitfall is maybe up for debate, but Jesus does warn very strongly about the dangers of money and having money as your God, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, you cannot have, you can't serve two gods. You can't, you know, serve both God and money. You're going to have to pick one. And one will quickly emerge as you, you know, in your life, Mm -hmm. your decisions will show which, which one is truly your God, you know, just look at your checkbook, look at where your money goes and, and you can see which one you're more, uh, more serving. But I think that because Jesus talks about this and it is a very serious concern and it's a very serious mm-hmm. trap that people fall into by trying to be rich, people can also miss the maybe more subtle nuances of, like you said, uh, poverty gospel if you want to put it that way, the idea that I'm somehow more humble or I'm a better Christian or I'm more, I'm a, I'm a Christian elite if I am poor and willing to live at a lower socioeconomic status. I just don't think that the Bible teaches us that. I don't think that there's a place where the Bible is saying that that is 
necessarily a better path. I think that God is going to give us a path and we need to be faithful with the path that we've been given. Mm -hmm. But just as people can see success as a form of salvation, right? Um, We can also see poverty as a form of justification. Mm -hmm. So it's an equally dangerous proposition, in my opinion. I'm poor, so I'm a better follower of Jesus. I think that's false humility. And that's, and that's my big concern there is that really you end up in an extremely prideful position where you're looking down on other people who are on a different path. And again, we see that God has allowed plenty of people through history to have money. So if I have it, what am I doing with it? But if I'm poor, what am I doing with that? Yeah, that's an important question. And understanding that we cannot justify ourselves through money at all, that we can only be justified by the blood of Jesus, and that that is the only way any of us can be made clean. You've given us so much to think about. Would you wrap us up with talking about what success actually looks like for a Christian? Yeah, good. Well, I think um, there's, a, there's a lot of things to unpack that, but I'll, I'll try to give you a succinct <laughs> version of that. In our particular business, we talk about something called success culture. And I think that in the non-Christian realm, the world realm, I think success is easily the ultimate goal that we need to pursue success at all costs. And many companies, especially sales-related companies, their culture is built around this idea of success. And that leads us to an imbalance where when success is primary and the most important thing, well, what happens when we're at a crossroads? And I can either do the right thing or the thing that leads to success. If I have participated in a culture that has set up success as the most important thing to pursue, and then I'm in one of those situations, well, I'm probably going to follow what I have been indoctrinated by for quite some time, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to sacrifice my integrity to do the thing that leads to success. So it's important in our specific business, we talk a lot about how important integrity is and that something to be pursued higher than success in itself. And so that's designed to, as we operate in a worldly environment, it's designed to get the people who work at our company to think primarily in terms of integrity. So when it comes down to a decision between the two, the decision will be what you've been saturating yourself in, and that'll be integrity and it won't be a hard decision. That's in the category of a business worldly setting, Mm -hmm. but you add a layer to it when you become a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so when you become a Christian now, it's not just, okay, am I making sure to choose integrity over success? Well, that's a valuable question. I think it's valuable for worldly businesses to consider that. But as soon as you become a Christian and you put your relationship with Christ in the mix, Mm -hmm. now success looks entirely different. Mm -hmm. Success doesn't actually look like just doing the right thing. Doing the right thing is great Mm -hmm. and we should totally do the right thing. But it does not stop there. It's saying, if I read the Bible and and really look at what the scripture is telling me, what I learn from the Bible is that the pursuit of Christ 
and a relationship with Christ and connection and unity with Christ is the ultimate thing. Success for me is wrapped up in my closeness with him. Mm -hmm. And my closeness with him was already bought and paid for on the cross. Hmm. So I did not get it myself. Jesus went and he got it for me. And in light of knowing that, then I can respond to that knowledge. So my pursuit of closer intimacy with Christ It's not because I need to earn it because Jesus already earned it for me. Rather, it's a response to what Jesus has done. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm saying whether God allows me to be successful or not successful in the eyes of the world is second place. It's almost irrelevant. It's not completely irrelevant, but it's almost irrelevant because what I'm really going for, my life's driving force is to have deeper connection with Christ as a response to what he's done for me. Mm-hmm. And so we have a great uh, scripture that points us in that direction in Psalms chapter one. Mm-hmm. And it says this, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers the wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish mm-hmm. so as i meditate on that which i do regularly I look at these words that say, blessed is the man who does not do these things, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Mm -hmm. So as I see what God has done for me, and as I, in response to that, pursue Christ and getting to know him better, I am meditating on God's law, and I'm saying the, the way that God says the world works and the things that God is about those are what's true and those are what I want to be all about. And I think for a Christian, whether you're a business owner or not a business owner, whether you're a business owner, an investor, just a regular employee for someone, whatever the case is, your success should look like Psalms chapter one. Mm. Success should look like I am like a tree planted by streams of water, right? Not because of what I have done, but because of what God has done for me. Peter, would you mind praying for our listeners? Absolutely, yeah. Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you for this opportunity to be here with Shara and talk about these important things. And I would ask you, Lord, that for whoever is listening to this podcast today, that as they consider these truths, would you, Lord, open their hearts and minds to think deeply about these things to uh, be inspired to read your scripture more, to spend more time in your law and in your word, uh, searching it to know what your scripture is saying as a whole. And Lord, would you stir their hearts and their affections that their affections would be towards you and not towards something else, that our affections would not be towards money or towards a false sense of humility through Uh, a non-money pursuing attitude, but rather the focus would be our hearts getting closer and closer to you. So 
Lord, just for whoever hears this, for, for whoever has, uh, for whoever is impacted by this episode that we record today, uh, may they be people who today are able to have just a little bit deeper of a taste of you and your goodness. The Psalms 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good and you are the thing that's worth pursuing and focusing our time on. Mm-hmm. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you listeners for seeking out the heart of God with us today. The resources, books, and some of Peter's thoughts can be found in the show notes at lifeaudio.com or slash podcast or on iTunes. And if you're over in the notes, we'd love if you would rate and review this podcast so others can find us. Until next time, may you seek the abundant life that Jesus died to give and live in the truth that sets people free. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.